So that was kind of fun. And then yesterday, we had a planned event, which was we went shooting. The guys actually went shooting over in Curse Park. I mean, we were in the park. It was legal. We weren't in the park. We were in the shooting range. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I don't do that very often. I'm not a shooter. Um, every five or ten years. So I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and, and the, the, you know, and I guess they could tell. And they, the one guy seemed a little concerned. So he came up to me and he said, hey, he said, uh, he said, when you shoot, are you right-handed? I said, yeah. He said, what eye is your strong eye? He said, my left eye. He said, well, we got a problem here. And I thought, well, that's good. I don't feel so bad now. I got an excuse. But he says, no. He says, what you do is he says, you close your left eye and you focus with your right eye. And I said, wow. I said, thanks. I said, I'd never thought of that before. I said, I usually close both eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was a new thing for me. The thing I felt comfortable with is they have this little microphone there that you speak into to, to set off these little discs that you shoot. And I was really good with that. You know, I, that microphone was really comfortable. I just go, pull, you know, and then they shoot. But Clifton was concerned because he knows how I like to talk. So he came over. He says, Ron, you know, those things are voice sensitive. You can't start talking to people. You're going to be shooting things off all over the place. So I had to be really careful lest I kind of mess it up for everybody. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about that when I came back and I thought, you know, that kind of illustrates a little bit of what my prayer life is like sometimes. You know, sometimes does it feel that way? Like it's like you're just kind of making noise in the background, kind of rambling off and shooting things off, but you don't really have a target. You're not focused. Um, and you're not praying like you ought to. And I think, well, how should I pray? Do you ever ask yourself that? How, how should I pray for others? We have these people come up here and we talk about it, but what, what does that mean? How do, how do I pray for other followers of Jesus Christ. How would followers of Christ pray for each other? It's a good question to ask today because that's precisely what Paul is going to be talking about as we continue our series on Ephesians. We're looking at uh, living as children of light because as we see in Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul talks about our call as a church. We are called to be his church. We are called to be his children of light. And then the next three chapters, he talks about our conduct as a church. We are not only called to be his church, but we're to live as his children of light. So that's what we're talking about today. And today we are going to um, talk about the need to pray for the saints. I'm going to read our passage to us first. It's, um, and it's uh, found here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul really does have a unique way of saying things. And once again, this is really a run-on sentence in the Greek language. So take heart, those of you that struggle in English. Uh, he did pretty well. Um, 
It's a long sentence. And he has a lot of stuff there. But it's amazing how much through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, he packs this in and gives us some really insightful stuff. He starts off by talking that when we pray for others, we need to pray in thanksgiving in verses 15 through 16. And he says, for this reason, which means he's going back, for this reason, what was I talking about? Remember what we talked about last week? We talked about how Paul blessed God for blessing him. He basically prays God for all the blessings God has given us. And now today, he's going to pray for people to understand and truly experience those blessings. That's the transition here. And so, how do we do that? Well, he kind of lays it out first, and he says, I've heard about you. I've heard that you have faith, that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I've heard that you've come into a relationship with him. That's how he begins it. And it raises a little bit of a question for us. Because Paul started the church in Ephesus, and he was there for like three years. But he, again, we mentioned this last week, he doesn't get very personal in this letter, which is unusual. And the best explanation is that Ephesus was a major city, which is now in southwestern Turkey, and it doesn't even exist anymore. It's just in ruins. But it used to be a prominent city, and there were, four, there were six other cities around it that were fairly well known. They were like the big suburbs. And in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, John writes a letter to those seven churches. And we believe, I believe, that he's writing essentially to the same seven churches. So they have spread out and they are growing very quickly. And so Paul doesn't really know who they are. But he's hearing stories about them. And remember, he's under house arrest, ready to go before trial, before Caesar in Rome. And he's hearing these stories and he says, wow, this is, uh, this is interesting. This is exciting what I'm hearing about you. I'm hearing that you have come into a relationship with Jesus. Have you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you? Does everybody here know him? I mean, that, that's the starting point of the whole thing here because we're talking about people that know him. Do you know him? And if you don't, that's okay. You're here and maybe asking questions and we'd love to talk to you about it. We'd love for you to understand that you, you start off by admitting that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And we, the word sin is kind of a scary word. We're just saying that we're selfish people. We live according to our own ways and our own rules. We try to do it on our own. And without God, we're not going to get anywhere. We can't get to heaven on our own efforts, and we'll see that more and more in this book. But we, we next believe that Jesus is, is God, that he is the only one that can get us there, that he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. And then we choose to follow Christ and we put our faith in him alone. And we'd love to talk to you about that topic because it's, it's really the starting point here. Paul says some people have done that, and as a result of that, um, these people have had changed lives, and they are loving others that are also saints. So what we're hearing here is these people are living in Ephesus, but their love, from a sports perspective, is for the New Orleans Saints, right? What, did you ever kind of wonder, what is a saint? Yeah, I mean, I grew up knowing that saints were St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Bernard's, right? Um, you know, you hear that, what, who, what is a saint? Actually, in the Bible, the literal translation of saint is basically one who's been set apart or made holy by God who is a follower of Christ. It's just another way of saying a person is a follower of Christ. In some contexts, it highlights somebody who's really committed in their faith. But for the most part, it's just a follower of Christ. So what he's saying is, you guys have come to know Christ, and now you really are showing your love for other people that know Christ. And, it's, and, and I'm hearing this all the way out in Rome. I'm hearing these stories about you, and it's really, really getting me really excited. You know, what, you know what I do when I hear this? I pray for you, and this is how I pray for you. I pray for you with thanksgiving. I get excited, and I thank God for what he's doing in your life among one another. Now, you may scratch your head 
with me on this because this isn't normally the way we think about prayer. When we think about praying for somebody, how often do you think, I'm going to thank God for that person and I'm going to thank God for what he's doing in their lives? We don't usually start there, but that's precisely what Paul is saying. When you pray for people, first thing you might want to think about is thanking God for what he's already doing in their lives. Go back and think about the people that you've known in the past and see what God has done in their lives and just be encouraged like Paul was. I think when Carrie and I first started in ministry, we were at a little church in Millbrae by the San Francisco International Airport. And occasionally we were well aware that the airport was there. Uh, a cute little place. And there were several families that we still keep in touch with. I remember Frank and Jeanette. Frank was a cement truck driver. They had a rough past, had a rocky marriage. They turned to the Lord, and God did some incredible things in their life. They had this a wonderful ability with youth, and then they began working with young couples and families, you know, with marriage. Um, but they didn't have the credentials you'd normally look for for leadership, but they had all the gifts, and they had wonderful hearts. And so... We worked with them, and they became elder. he became an elder in our church, and today he's an elder in a big church in the San Francisco Peninsula, and he's actually helping start another church. Came and visited here once uh, with, one of, with his pastor, Mark Mitchell, who was a guest speaker. That's it. I, I look back at that, and it just blows my mind. I say, what a great story. What a great story. I, I think of the Moshers. They were coming to our church. Young family couldn't find a church. Started coming to our church. Uh, they just had the gift of hospitality. Uh, Clyde was an electrician, and he would trade out his work with other contractors, and they took this house. They basically, they, nobody wanted this house because it was such bad shape in this incredible neighborhood in Burlingame. You guys ever been to Burlingame? You know, that just, they, they're right in the middle of those most beautiful homes, and they have the smallest house in the block, but they turned it into the cutest little place. And they just opened it up, and they started having our, our small group would meet there. It's been like 30 years, I think. They still have small groups meeting there. That's just who they are. You know, we come to that neighborhood, we go visit the Moshers. They came out here once, loved our church, went rafting with us afterwards. And then there were, were the, the Redlicks. Redlicks came to our church. He wasn't interested in God. Successful businessman, didn't want anything to do with it. Um, but he'd had some hardships in his life. His sister had been murdered. And as a result of that, there was kind of like, um, I'll listen, but I'm not for sure. Something's not making sense in life. His wife started meeting with my wife and Carrie gave her some basics of her faith, helped her get grounded. They finally started coming to a Bible study. He wasn't for sure. And then he was driving one, home one day on the Cypress Freeway, the old Cypress Freeway that isn't there anymore, just stacked on top. All the, the roads are stacked on top of each other. Loma Prieta earthquake poof, crushed his car. He survived and gave his life to the Lord. Uh, he also got practical and moved across the bay. Um, <laughs> But after that, you know, we've kept in touch with them, and he's now heads up the elders at his church, and, and she's a secretary there and, uh, and uh, um, works with, with the women's ministry. We saw them at Carrie's dad's memorial recently. Do you have people like that in your life? You see the change in their life and hang on to that. And when you pray for them, the first thing you do is say, God, thank you for what you're doing in their lives. Thank you for what you've done. That should encourage us. But that's what it's all about, Transformation. We're seeing God really at work. We're seeing the miracles right before our very eyes. Now, he goes on from that. Um, and, and the next thing that he talks about is he says that they should um, pray that they know God better. And the first thing he does is he tells us who the God is that we're supposed to know better. He tells us basically three things about this God. 
And he keeps telling us this in different ways. And he never stops to explain to us exactly all that this means anywhere. And it's frustrated people, but there's no need to, because it's beyond our comprehension. But he just tells it as a fact. We have one God, the supreme being of the universe. But he is our father and he is in heaven and he is the leader. But this same God is three gods. But no, he's not three gods. What's going on here? He's one God who makes himself known in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. The Trinity, or what I like to call the triunity. And so we see it once again here. That God is the Father, but then he says Jesus is our Lord. And he's the Christ. He's the true Messiah. He's come to earth. He's died on the cross for our sins. And he's risen from heaven. He's back with God in heaven. And then he have God the Holy Spirit, who is the one who enables us to come to know Christ and then works in our lives and helps us to, to live it out and understand the things we should. He says here, he gives us wisdom. He gives us discernment. He gives us knowledge. He helps us understand these things. And next thing he says is, I want you to know him better. That kind of God is going to take a whole lot of time to get to know. Longer than eternity. You'll never know everything about God because God is just too vast and too awesome and too wonderful. But that's what we want is to get to know him. The Greek word for know speaks of the fullness of knowledge acquired through a personal relationship. You know, there's this saying that, you know, I don't have a lot of time for my kids, but I give them quality time when I can. You can't choose good times with your kids. Give them quantity time, and you'll find quality. Try to pick out quality, you often are going to miss it. If you want to build a relationship with anybody, you've got to give them quantity time. You've got to spend time with them, and you've got to get to know them. And that's how it's got to be with our God. We've got to get to know him well. John R. W. Stott, the the late great British pastor and scholar, says that growth in knowledge is indispensable to growth in holiness. You understand what he's saying there? Our relationship with God, the most important thing is knowing him. That's the most important thing we can do is know God. And that's what our mission statement says, right? Our love for God leads us to love our world. Do you understand what's happening there? If we really love God, we will love our world. That's why we got to get people loving God. If everybody here really were pursuing God like they're pursuing their husbands and wives and their boyfriends and their girlfriends and their best friends and really investing their time, daily spending time with them and talking to them throughout the day, there'd be some things going on in our life, some transformation that'd be going on. And I've seen that happen and I'm seeing that happen. But I just encourage you to continue on that way and that's how... We need to pray for one another. That's how we need to pray for one another. And so when we pray for the Greenleys going overseas, and and they kind of alluded to this, but what's the most important thing we can pray for them? That they would all know God better. That they would all grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus Christ because as they grow deeper in their relationship with him, he will empower them for all the other stuff. We pray for all the other stuff, but we start by saying, let's pray that God will help them to grow in their relationship with him that they'll just experience the closeness of their father and no matter what their circumstances can find joy in him. So what a, 
What a great thing that Paul says. So when you pray for one another, thank God for them, and then pray that they know God better, that they grow in their relationship with him. And then the third thing he says is pray for spiritual enlightenment. In this last section, he, he talks about that, and he, he says um, that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. There, there's that song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. I think we're going to sing it a little bit. And I remember the first time I saw that, I thought the guy that wrote this song probably never took Anatomy 101, you know. There are no eyes in your heart. But then I realized, well, that's what the Bible's saying here. It's, it's illustrative. And what he's saying is that not that there's literally eyes in your heart, but that in your spiritual eyes, so to speak, within your soul, you really understand what God has done. He wants you to understand it. So it's not just enough to thank the people, thank God for people and, and pray that they know God, but you want to pray that they fully understand what God is doing in their lives, that they get it and that they're applying it in their lives. And so he gives three specific examples. He says that they would know the hope of their calling. That they would know the hope of their calling. And the word for hope is not a word that says, well, I, I think maybe it's all going to work out. We'll see what happens. It's more like it is, it's already worked out. It's already certain. It's already done. Like we've said before, it's, in, in God's perspective, it's almost like everything has already taken place and we're playing it back in slow motion. He's got it all in control. And then um, he says that he's called us. He's called us, and, and when he calls us, you, just, you don't turn back on God. When he says, come, you come. Um, and it, it relates to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We, re, we use this verse a lot, not always in context. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. This is that relationship element. And who are called according to his purpose. God has a call for us. He has a purpose for us as individuals and he has a purpose for us as a church and he has called us. And you say, well, didn't I have anything to do with it? Uh, John Stott says, true, we called on him to save us, but our call was a response to his. We make the decision, but he orchestrates it all. How you figure that out, I don't know. There's just some powerful, incomprehensible stuff that Paul has been talking about last week and this week again. And so, uh, you know, what, what is this that we've been called to? What is this hope? What is this purpose that God is calling us to that is so powerful? Isn't it really everything that's a Christian life? Isn't he, isn't he talking about coming to know Christ, building a close relationship with God, building a close relationship with others, using the gifts and abilities that you have to serve the people in your life, those that God has placed around you? It's you living out your Christian convictions in your life before God and knowing that one day you'll be with him forever in heaven. It's the whole thing. That's what he's called us to. And, and when we pray for people, we want to pray that they understand that and they grasp that in their lives to a degree that they, they aren't worried when times go, get hard and they get discouraged because they know that they have this certain hope. Matt Chandler uh, the, the, the Texas pastor writes it this way. He says, it's understanding that even if people say we're on the wrong side of history, we know history has already been decided. We know how this thing ends. And that's how we should live our lives. That should be in our hearts. We should be encouraged. Then the next thing he says is that we should know their, they should know their inheritance. And this verse parallels Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, says it a little bit more um, 
clearly. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of God. Strongly suggesting that God's rich inheritance will be given to us. Peter describes it as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. We have a, have a place where we're going to be rewarded in heaven. It's going to be a time of exciting, an exciting time. So this week, um, there's a lady that I've known probably since nearly when, the time I was born. And, um, and she's dying. Uh, she's dying in Modesto. Her daughter, who I used to get in a lot of mischief with during high school days, she dated one of my best buddies. We all, I was on the wrestling team, and she was on the stat girls, and she's a nurse now over at Kaiser, so she brought mom and dad out. And so I went and visited mom. She's dying. She's in hospice, in a hospice home. I'm talking to her, and what do I say to Betty? She's not really able to respond that much. You know what I do? Uh, I, two things. One, Betty, do you know Jesus? And she said, yes. And then I said, then, let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about where you're going to go. See what I'm saying? Because that's what matters now. Let's talk about the, the fact that it's going to be a physical place. It's going to be incredibly beautiful. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and anything that you see on this planet that has fallen apart and so forth is going to be beautiful there. Your body is going to be restored. It's going to be like Jesus' body, his glorified body. I just keep looking at my, the mirror and I say, man, one day, dude, you're going to look so good. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, it, it's fun. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's exciting. And, and it should fill us up and it should give us encouragement that we're going to be able to, to have these new bodies and these new relationships. We're going to see loved ones again. We're going to meet Jesus. We're going to meet the, the other you know, great leaders in the church. We're going to meet all these people that we've thought about. We're going to sing and, and we're going to, and we're going to all sound like Mitch, you know, well, not the ladies, um, but we're going to, you know, we're all going to have good voices and be able to sing and, and, and praise God and dance and enjoy one another. And there's not going to be any inhibitions and there's not going to be any hangups and the tears will be wiped away and all this stuff that we fantasize about and we write books about and we go to movies about because in our hearts we were made for it. And it's going to be there for us. And so we look at that and we say, we have an inheritance. We have a place where we'll be, we'll be loved by God despite all the things we've done wrong. We'll, we'll receive this inheritance in this time of celebration. And the final thing he says is that they should know, that, that they should know their power. That they pray that they know their power. And he says, the word for power, by the way, is the word we get dynamite from. God's power is explosive. How explosive is God's power? I was reading yesterday about the H-bomb, the, the hydrogen bomb. I don't know if you know this one. Some of you might know this. Mark, you probably know this. But did you know that when they blew, blew up the hydrogen bomb, when they tested it for the first time, they just took this island out in the middle of no place, and they, they tested it, and you know what happened? There's no more island. The island disappeared. Do you know how powerful God's power he probably is and by comparison he could he could disintegrate this planet think about just stop and think about the enormity of God's power and how do we know this well he exerted it and he just gave us one little example by raising Jesus from the dead bringing him back up to heaven he says he's at the right hand of God it doesn't mean he's attached to him it's kind of like 
it's not a spatial thing. It's more like he's his right man, right hand man. They're together working both, you know, father, son as a team up in heaven. And Jesus, he says, is now above everybody. And Jesus is the head over all. That's, that's pretty exciting stuff. And he, then he says something really weird. It, it just doesn't come over well in translation. In verse 23, he says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And I'm not really for sure what he means by that. Um, so I went back, and again, I'm really indebted to um, John R.W. Stott, who's with the Lord now and probably could explain a lot more to us. But, um, but, but he says, even then, he says, the best way to, dis- to translate this is probably Christ who fills the church fills the universe. And as he has explained this, all of a sudden it just really hit me. He gave one illustration that really hit me and hopefully helped you too, is that um, remember in the Old Testament when God would make himself known through this big cloud called the Shekinah glory and he would fill the temple with this big cloud. Well, now God's big cloud is inside you guys and me. The Shekinah glory is in us. That's why we are supposedly, we shine for Christ. We have the power in us and that power fills the whole universe. So stop and think about the power that you have resident in you. Sometimes you say, well, I'm just really a nobody and I just do my job and I just watch the kids and I, whoever, I don't want to be up front and nobody, what could I do? You know what? Do you realize how much power you have? You are all a somebody. You are all loved by God beyond compare. And you all have supernatural power that is actually frightening. Now, you just can't unleash that whenever you want. But if you're following God and doing what he wants, you'll be surprised by some of the things that he will do in your life as you minister to other people. And that's what he's saying he's praying for them is that they understand these things and that they live boldly, you know, as we've seen today, good example, again, the Greenleafs saying, we'll go wherever you want us to go. And God's doing some powerful things. He's just begun. And he's going to do some really neat things in their life in Togo as we continue to pray for them and pray for their ministry there. And he's doing things among us too, and we need to pray that way. So we're going to look at applications for this. Just, you know, one thing is to thank God for fellow followers. Thank God for the fellow followers in your life. Maybe make a list of some people today. Just think through and go through and thank God for some of the people who you've seen their lives change and how much it's encouraged you. Thank God for people, you know, in this church. You know, I don't see him right now, but Jeremy, he was here earlier, uh, probably in another room helping, but Jeremy was the first person to come to know Christ at this church. He and Megan, it's just incredible. God's done some really neat things in their life. You know, and, and I can go through, and there's just people, each of you, and I don't want to embarrass people, but each of you have stories. And as I've known you, even in these last four or five years, I've seen people's lives change. I've seen some people take on some really difficult ta- things in their lives and overcome them in Christ. I've seen people mature in Christ. And so we need to go around, just thank God for the people next to you, the people around you, and for what God is doing in their life. The second thing I'd like to encourage you to do uh, is to pray that people would know God. Pray that they would know God better. You know, you can go on Facebook, and you can find on our Facebook account the names of everybody on our Facebook account. You know, it just pops up. You ever do that and just start praying for them? Do you pray for the other people in this church that they would know God? We should be. That's when we get powerful people when we're really praying for one another. Praying for the people next to you. Getting to know them. Not just praying the people in in your small group, but praying for the people in your church. 
How well do you know? Probably most of us sit in the same seats all the time. We know the four or five people around us. We're not that big. Everybody here should know everybody. And we all pray for each other. So know who one another is and pray that they would know God. Be praying for each other. What if everybody in our church prayed for everybody in our church as best we could every week? Even if you just prayed for 10 people every week in this church and then the next week maybe for others. Or, you, know, you see what I'm going? Take that task on. Try just praying for 10 people this week in this church that they would know God better and grow in their relationship with him. And finally, are we enlightened? You know, the word has been hijacked by liberal scholars over the years, but the only true light is Jesus. And he will give us a spiritual light to see the truth in life. And we need to pray that people see the truth, that they understand the power they have in Christ, and that God is using them. That as they grow in their love for God, they will not only love others, but other people will come to love God because of them. Not because they're beating people over the head, but because they're just loving God the way they should. And then they're loving others the way they should. Uh, It's interesting, we, we have talked a lot recently about how the gospel message is spreading around the world. Nearly every unreached people group is, is being reached. There's under 2,000 left. It's exciting. But when we come to America, folks, we're not doing too well. Um, the message of Christ seems to be shrinking in our own country at this time. And that's not untypical historically what happens to countries. But we have a lot of responsibility before us read an, uh, some, an article recently in a magazine put out by Christianity Today, and they were interviewing different pastors. I just found it very intriguing, and it ties into what we're talking about today. We have power to reach the world, and we need to reach the world, and we need to, to be more effective even where we're at. And they asked these guys, what do you think about where we're at? And some of these guys are pretty respected people. One of them uh, is a guy named Claude, Pastor Claude Alexander. He said, we should stop referring to our country as post-Christian and realize that we're pre-Christian. In other words, it's time to start all over again. Uh, Matt Chandler called for us to be more courageous, as we mentioned earlier. Pastor James Emery White says that we're not an Acts 2 church anymore. In Acts 2, remember, Peter came out to speak, and everybody he spoke to was Jewish, and they knew their Old Testament, and he quoted from the Old Testament. When, when you talk to people today, a lot of times they've never opened their Bibles. We're in a different world. We're in Acts 17 church where Paul goes and speaks to the Greeks. They didn't know what he was talking about. One of the consent, the consensus that they all seem to have is the job is now up to the people more than ever before. You know why that is, is that people don't come to churches because of a building. And we're excited to get, we're getting a new building eventually here, but people don't come to church because of a building. They used to. They used to see a neat new building and say, let's check it out. They don't anymore. People don't come to church because it has a great VBS or because there's a great program or anything. They don't come for those reasons. No, I take that back. They do. 20% of the people, those that already know Christ, go. Most church growth in America is that when one new church starts, everybody from the old church moves over. And then another church has a new program and they all move over there. And then they move and they move and they move. And 20% of the people are already believers just go from church to church and they get all jacked up and they go to these big churches because everybody's going there and they're all just believers. And 80% of the people don't know the Lord and aren't going and so the churches really aren't growing. So what do we do? The consensus was pastors can't do it. 
there's no way if I worked full time just trying to reach everybody and I've asked people to church and I've had some people come to church that, you know, come here now. Neighbors of ours. Sandy, you come to our church and my neighbor. And, you know, and we've seen other, and, and you guys met you guys, you know, too, through Sandy, um, the Tussings. And, and, and you guys have had people that have come too. But, I, you know, one person or three people can't do it. You have to do it. And you can do it because you have supernatural power in you that enables you to do it. So I just encourage you to reach out to the people in your neighborhood to love the people that are in your life, your family, your friends, to get involved with things like Relay for Life where you can get to know people. You know, this year in Relay for Life, they asked me to be a chaplain at the caregiver center. So you can come visit me there. I may not have anybody there, so I might get bored. So. But, but no, it's going to be neat though too. And, and there are opportunities like that just to care for the people around us. And you care for the people when you coach football or wrestling or help, you know, with the different things that people do in our church. All that stuff matters. Just being a witness for Christ in the process is all we're asking for, and we're asking that we pray for each other. You know, we all have different areas where we struggle, and what maybe a catchword for us today to start saying to each other is, how can I pray for you? Could you do that with one another? Try to ask people, how can I pray for you? Can I have, you know, sometimes we struggle more with prayer, and sometimes we struggle more with Bible study. I have people that say, I have trouble praying, so I pray for their prayer life. And other people maybe with their Bible study. But how, is that something we could kind of work into our conversation? Not, you know, maybe, you know, how do you think the Raiders are going to do this year? But maybe, how, how are you doing? You know, is there something I can pray for you about? Can I pray for you to grow? And how can I pray for you to grow closer to God? What will help you grow closer to God? How can I pray for you to be a better witness to those people around you? What, what can I do? You know, I, 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 can, I can't do a lot, but I can pray for you. So let's kind of, let's put that in our minds this week. As if speaking to the messages, we kind of tie this all together today. We see that God has given us amazing power that we need to pray for once again that we might reach our whole world. Claude Alexander said this. He said, speaking of the birth of the church originally, he said, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit endowed this pivotal group of people with a supernatural ability to surpass the limits of their spirit, their exposure, and their education to fulfill their assignment. Is that not what the Holy Spirit does for us? He empowers us to overcome our fears. He triumphs over every divisive and disruptive attitude to the fulfillment of God's purpose. So we need to pray that God would empower us to live out these things, to pray for one another, to live out these things that we might fulfill our purpose in Christ according to his calling in our lives. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for Paul's encouraging words. And thank you that sometimes we sell ourselves short. Um, Lord, I pray that we would not have high self-esteem, um, but that we'd have Christ-esteem. That we'd recognize that ourselves really, yeah, maybe ourselves don't have a lot to offer. But in Christ we do. In Christ we do, and in Christ lives in us. Lord, may we keep that in mind. And those that don't know you, I pray that they would come to know you, even today. And those that uh, do know you, uh, I pray that they would find comfort and encouragement from this message and grow ever closer to you. And Lord, I, I do want to conclude too in praying for our little buddy Weston. Again, we pray, we don't know how he's doing right now, but we pray that he'd get his transfusion, that he would be feeling healthier and come home. And again, continue to pray for comfort and peace for that family that we love so much. Thank you again for this time with you. Amen.